the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Quick housekeeping note, if you didn't see the title of this Tuesday's episode, this is part two of a two-part series on a uh, very interesting sexual revolutionary. As a matter of fact, the guy who invented the term sexual revolution, uh, Mr. Wilhelm Reich. Uh, let's shout out our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. They call me Ben. Noel, we have been, we, we've been taking our time with this, I think. We did our due diligence with the excellent help of our research associate, Mr. Zach Williams, no relation. And uh, we saved a lot of crazy stuff for part two, wouldn't you say? This is where we... Uh, <laughs> this is where we get weird with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, you know, we're just going to kind of go along for the ride in this magic uh, school bus of weirdness. But uh, Dr. Reich is, is the one who truly um, originates the weirdness here. In 1933, the Nazis, uh, they've uh, he's already been on their radar, Reich. You know, it was Ooh. mentioned at the end of the last episode. He's got some ideas that fly completely counter to the puritanical, you know, repressive kind of views uh, and ideologies of the Nazi party. And Reich has become a a figure of some note in this neck of the woods. And the Nazis uh, do not care for it. And they have decided that he is persona non grata. They burn uh, his works along with uh, the works of Sigmund Freud, who was his mentor, uh, and, and the works of Magnus Hirschfeld, he is compelled to uh, flee. Um, he and his mistress escape. They make haste to Denmark. Uh, but the Danish Communist mm-hmm. Party 
they've gone too far for even them at this point. Uh, some of these ideas, this idea of the orgasm, you know, uh, being a source of pleasure, you know, and, and not just uh, procreation. Um, so they're, they no, they, you can't come in. Sorry, uh, no, no room at the end. Um, so they then have to go to Sweden where Dr. Reich is admitted, but he is placed under surveillance. Yes. This is a weird story. This is a, uh, this is a moment ripe or should I say Reich, for reenactments. Uh, the, the police who are surveilling the good doctor see that he has multiple patients coming and going from his hotel, and this convinces them that he is, to put it bluntly, that he is a pimp, that he is operating some sort of um, sex worker ring. And the authorities say, look, you can't stay here any longer. We know what you're up to. Uh, and as you know, folks, in every life, when it rains, it pours. He loses his contract to publish an upcoming book called Character Analysis. And he shows up to a conference in 1934 at the International Psychoanalytic Association in Lucerne. And when he shows up, he is <laughs> told once again, there is no room at the academic inn. They tell him, doctor, you cannot be here. We expelled you from our association, from the IPA, we would call it in English. We expelled you last year. You should have, you didn't know? You didn't get the letter? And he, uh, he's, he sticks by it, though. He stays, despite the controversy, and he uh, lectures on a paper that he has produced. Uh, he lectures as a guest, but this marks the parting of ways between him and what we would consider mainstream psychoanalysis of the day. Uh, we've yeah. got a, a pretty crazy quote about it. It's been a long time coming. I think we've, we've, we've sort of seen this in the cards. And just to cite, once again, the fantastic article, The Scientific Assassination of a Sexual Revolutionary, that headline alone is worth the price of admission, uh, which is free. You can find this on Motherboard uh, via Vice by Jason Louvre um, on, on the internet. But yeah, really, really great quote. And this is exactly what we've been describing, why the fascists were so against uh, Reich's whole deal. And he saw this, and, and I think he's, uh, he's, he's stating a pretty uh, even-handed view of the whole situation. Um, he says, quote, I was told that my work on mass psychology, which was directed against the irrationalism of fascism, had placed me in a much too exposed position. Hence, my membership was no longer tenable. Four years later, Freud had to flee Vienna for London, and the psychoanalytic groups were crushed by fascists. Subsequently, I avoided contact with my earlier colleagues. Their behavior was not neither better nor worse than is usual in such cases. It was low and uninteresting. A good dose of banality is all that is needed to hush up a matter. Nice. So this is, uh, this is especially enticing to me because uh, I will tell you, fellow ridiculous historians, if you really want to cut someone to the core, you shouldn't waste your time trying to viscerally insult them. You can just look them in the eye and tell them they're not being interesting. I'm telling you that that is that is nuclear uh, weaponry. 
in an acrimonious conversation, hearing Reich say that this particular uh, ivory tower is low and uninteresting would have been quite a cutting insult for them. At this point, we see Reich escaping through happy accident, the horrors and atrocities of the Second World War. Uh, We mentioned in part one, a Guardian article I want to go back to. uh, Shout out to Christopher Turner, who wrote (laughs) wrote a fantastic piece, Willem Reich, the man who invented free love. In this piece, the journalist says, the most brilliant of the second generation of psychoanalysts, the folks who have been Freud's pupils, arrived in New York in August in 1939. And this was, keep in mind, just a few days after the war officially broke out. Reich is feeling good. You know, he's got the wind at his back. The sun is shining on his career. And he is thinking, hey, maybe things aren't that bad. Maybe this country is the place for me. Maybe they will understand what I'm trying to teach people about sex and politics. Maybe because this is not fascist Europe, my ideas, my thoughts, my studies will be given the deference they deserve. Uh, I like that you mentioned Kinsey, Alfred Kinsey, in part one uh, here, Noel, because What we see is that just a year before 1938, Kinsey has started his own uh, historically significant investigations into, into sex, society, and all the associated baggage. So he uh, he was on the heels, he was on the heels of, uh, of Reich, but, but not purely contemporary. Reich was kind of ahead of his, at least if it was, it was parallel maybe, but like Reich was sort of already out there with this kind of stuff before Kinsey made his debut, right? Reich had been working in this field for some time, yeah. And his decision to move to America was largely, largely triggered by a psychiatrist based in New York, a guy named Dr. Theodore Wolf. Dr. Wolf had studied in Oslo for one year, and he was a fan of Reich's work. He thought it led in interesting directions. So he pulled some strings, and he got Dr. Reich a two-year gig as an associate professor of medical psychology at the New School for Social Research in New York. Again, the sun is shining, right? You just got kicked out of the ivory tower. Your papers are getting canceled. Your books aren't publishing. But now you're in a new country. You're making a new start. You know, cue the perfect strangers theme song. That's how I see Dr. Wolf and Dr. Reich right now. Hey, everyone. This is Future Max here. I just want to let you know that I am not going to play the perfect strangers music right here. It just doesn't seem like smart for a five-second joke to risk us getting sued. So instead, you're going to get this. I should probably say ahead of time, I'm very sorry for what you're about to hear. Stand in on the wings of their dreams. dreams. Such a classic jam. It's man, I'm not, I'm not jam, kidding, man. We, dude. I really do think, you know, especially the whole like, 
com- with the, the 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 Swiss police monitoring the comings and goings from their you know uh, hotel. That could be the the friends' apartment. You know, that could be the Seinfeld Jerry's place. You know, this could mm-hmm. be the center of the Wilhelm Reich and Friends uh, sitcom that never was that, that no one asked for, but I think we deserve. But we're giving it to you because you earned it, folks. You earned it. 2022. Uh, and uh, and yes, shout out to that golden era of sitcom themes. I, I love it. Uh, I got to tell you, I like the theme songs more than the actual shows. And, uh, and Reich, is, Reich is feeling warm, fuzzy, dare I say, sexually and politically unrepressed when he rents a house in Forest Hills in 1939 and then he starts uh, rinsing and repeating his earlier patterns of scholarship, uh, the same things he did in Oslo and Vienna and Berlin. Uh, He starts uh, an institute and he starts a publishing outfit called the Orgon Press for his various uh, his various publications, his books, his articles, and whatnot. He also sets up a laboratory, you guys, and he hires Ilse Ollendorf, who you'll recognize from part one as the woman who will become his third spouse. Uh, he starts courting her. Oh, we're closing up the lab. You want to get a coffee like they do in Vienna? Anyway, whatever his dating game was, it works. Uh, They decide to get married, and Ilse is step-in-step, hand-in-glove, assisting Reich in his research, which is considered, uh, (laughs) to, to his supporters, it is considered groundbreaking new science. And to his critics, as we'll see, it's considered not science at all. Totally. And then like, like we said, like, we, you know, that, 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 that kind of thumbing of his nose at the scientific community talking about how, Hey, just add a little banality. Uh, it's a great way to ruin a good thing. That really was his like official F you to, you know, what, ha- what had been his, uh, his colleagues, you know, he is now going his own way. He's going the way of more of like, let's just say what today we might consider new age, healer, thinker types. And again, there's some that are way more uh, reputable than others. There are some that are pure snake oil salesmen. I, 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 the jury is out, in my opinion, on, on this, uh, this period of Reich's career because he really is, you know, starting to harness this idea of these, you know, sexual energies. And he has dubbed them orgone energy. Uh, and he has decided that he can harness, he can accumulate these energies uh, to do what what with, I'm not quite sure. The idea is that they could be used to treat certain cancer, radiation poisoning, different ailments. We have no uh, real data, you know, proving the efficacy of any of this stuff, but he essentially designs what he considers like a greenhouse that can like capture these energies, you know, when a person like hangs out inside and presumably 
does sexy stuff. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll mm. get there. Um, mm. But he he designs this thing called the Orgone Energy Accumulator, which is essentially just like a, a wooden cupboard um, around the size of a phone box, you know, a telephone booth um, lined with an insulated material uh, of, of metal um, and steel wool. And in it, um, the idea would be that he, that, that, that he could capture this stuff the way you you might capture you know, solar power on a, on a solar cell mm-hmm. or the way you might store electricity in a battery. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or the way you can get energy from wind power, right? You're, you're, you're taking ambient energy and you're sort of redirecting and accumulating it. Now, let us be clear, ridiculous historians. None of us are saying uh, that the orgone energy accumulator worked to the same scientific rigor of a hydroelectric dam or a wind turbine. But we also promised some etymology here. If you are wondering what orgone is, it, uh, it was defined as a, quote, vital energy that was anti-entropic. It's a generative Force And it's meant to, at least in Reich's mind, it is something that is all around us. It's like um, midichlorians or the mm-hmm. force in the Star Wars universe, right? It, it affects people in a gestaltic, you know, like comprehensive way. And so his idea is that you can harness the force, for lack of a better word, and you can improve people's orgastic potency, right? You can improve their orgasms, basically, and this will therefore improve not just their mental well-being, but their physical well-being. This orgone energy that he concentrates per, you know, his reasoning in his accumulator, it, he does a thing that a lot of doctors do in the early days, or a lot of pioneers do in the early days, where he says, okay, I found something that I think is good. As a matter of fact, I like it so much, I think it is good for everything. So in, you know, two shakes of a lamb's tail, as they used to say, this guy is saying, look, I'm onto something, folks. Not only does orgone help you feel better, not only is it the reason that you feel good when you are engaged in sexual activity, but this can also help you with cancer. You got radiation sickness? No worries. Let's accumulate some orgone. Uh, do you have, you know, do you have a runny nose? Do you have a fever? Do you have dropsy? Do you have half celepsy, which is a thing that I just made up? I'm doing a Reich voice. Is your one? Is, do you have weird foot? Is one of your feet weird? Let's get orgone on it. Orgone's on the case. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a catch all, right? It's a catch cure all. Right, it's a panacea. Kinda, yes, that's right. And that 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 in in inherently leads to skepticism, uh, you know, understandably. And I think we're both on the same page about this. And I think we both also agree that there is a period of Reich's life or his his studies that that does make a lot of sense and that, that he really does kind of nail a lot of the whole you know nature of sexual repression and like all of that and just the whole idea of of being open about sexuality but i feel like at this point he's maybe gone a bridge too far um it just doesn't feel like scientific research it starts to feel more like the makings of a cult than it does scientific research 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the question is, does it become at some point a cult of personality? And I think that's a question a lot of us were wondering when we were listening to part one of this series. He does something that a lot of cult leaders do. He purchases some out-of-the-way land, and he starts building his compound, folks. Over in Maine, he opens the Organon Institute, which we referred to in part one. Uh, This is where he can free himself from the repressive shackles of mainstream science. Whatever that means in his day, he can research full-time organomy, which I think is just a beautiful Beautifully constructed word. I like the, uh, as you would say, the mouthfeel of it, mm-hmm. ergonomy. He now expands and he says, I didn't just find the good stuff, the good pervasive energy. I found the dark energy. I found what I call the D-O-R. Uh, also, by the way, acronyms, initialisms, I should say, uh, they are a, another indicator of cultic activity. DOR stands for deadly orgone radiation. It's, it's still orgasmic matter. It's still, you know, the force, but it's a little Sithy. It's a little Sith Lord about it. Uh, It is antimatter to him. And he says this stuff, this bad vibe for lack of a better term is responsible for all the bad stuff in the environment. This is before people knew about the dangers of plastics. This is before people knew about the pervasive nature of various um, contaminants and chemicals uh, left in the wake of the Industrial Revolution. They they didn't know, for instance, uh, about the harmful intergenerational effects of lead. So Reich, being an intelligent man, by all accounts, uh, he knew that there was stuff wrong with the environment, with the world. It wasn't perfect, but he, again, he went a bridge too far, and he uh, he said it's all due to this D-O-R. It's an accidental rhyme, but I stand by it. No, it's good. Um, but it, yeah, no, it is. It, it, it does kind of take on this uh, midi-chlorian kind of like good force versus bad force kind of vibes. You know what I mean? Like like the powers of evil versus the powers of darkness, which you can boil down, you know, if you really want to take a paint with a broad brush, you know, there obviously are forces of of, of positivity and, 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 and healing and cleansing. And there are obviously forces of contamination and poisoning and, and destruction. There's no question about that. But they're not... They're not these like separate entities. They're they're all they all they all stem from the stuff that we're all made of. You know, it's not like there's some evil you know hexus from Fern Gully force out there that's just creating all of this demonic evil energy to destroy the trees. I mean, it really is just it, a lot of it comes from man harnessing these things and making things that then have byproducts that cause all these problems. And it seems like what uh, what Reich is trying to do is oversimplify it into these like cosmic sort of you know materials, right? Like like this uh, yeah. this matter antimatter kind of situation, which just feels a little bit reductive and and almost kind of really further makes me kind of sort of shake my head at some of where he's going in this period. I like the I like the term reductive here because uh, one thing that will stand out to anybody in in STEM right now, anybody in the scientific field, is that you know measurable forces of the universe, of reality as we know it, uh, they have no moral compass. Gravity is not thinking about 
actions. Gravity is not uh, trending toward uh, uh, a good or a bad that could be identified by human beings. So to ascribe morality to this concept of orgone and deadly orgone, or D-O-R, it's it's a little a bit, uh, well, it's a lot of bit of anthropomorphizing, which is when you ascribe human framework, human cognitive framework to a thing that is only a thing. Uh, and, and, you know, there's uh, this is a huge part of human psychology. It's kind of the reason cars have two headlights such that they look like a face. It's kind of the reason that humans grow attachments to the oddest things. This is what we mean when we say he's getting a little off the rails objectively. He is aware of, at this point, he is aware of the U.S. nuclear attacks on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Also, we had an earlier episode about the unluckiest or luckiest guy in Japan during that time. Please do check out our show on the guy who survived both of those attacks. In Reich's opinion now, he sees himself as a leader of good, almost a messianic figure. He is fighting for life energy, not death energy, and he wants to weaponize. He wants to weaponize his concepts, and that's when he starts building what we call cloudbusters, what he called cloudbusters. You might call them orgone guns if you're in the right subreddit these days. But uh, he says, look, this stuff, it can make it rain, It's not a euphemism for throwing dollar bills. It can actually change the weather. And with these uh, cloud busters, I can also reverse the process of desertification, which is when uh, soil erodes and uh, biome transforms into something like the Sahara. That's right. And um, this kind of technology is where I think uh, we mentioned Reich in a past Ridiculous History episode about uh, a guy that kind of like scammed um, a small drought ridden town into thinking he could, you know, make it rain. Um, Because, yeah, cloud seeding using silver iodide or dry ice was a thing uh, since the 1940s. The idea of like being able to pull uh, rain out of out of clouds and in times of drought, we've even seen it harnessed like during the there was an Olympic ceremony, I think, where they they did a big thing where they made it rain um, using this technology. But he wasn't going for that. His cloud busting uh, technology that he purported to have invented used this orgone energy, uh, believed that he could pull it directly out of the atmosphere and then funnel it into the ground or into a body of water. He believed that what he was doing was akin to what you might see happening with a lightning rod, you know, where it could, you know, go to ground. This energy contained in his mind that same level of of power as, as electricity. And he claimed to have successfully achieved this. You know, again, this is all happening on his land under his watch you know with his data so it's a little little questionable there but um he he did do numerous experiments using these cloud busters and according to reich um these these experiments started to get some interest from um from beyond from beyond our 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 universe 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. He believes in extraterrestrial life, to say the quiet part out loud. UFOs, UAPs, they're called nowadays in the West. Uh, he calls them energy alphas. And he says they are attacking the Earth with DOR, again, deadly orgone radiation. He says, I've seen a number of alien craft over my institute here in Maine. And he even goes on to describe how he and his son use a orgone gun, a cloud buster, to fight a, quote, full-scale interplanetary battle in Arizona. This is, again, from that Vice article, but you can find it confirmed in multiple sources because he really did say this. Now, did he believe it himself? Was he a scam artist? Was he bilking people? Or was he like Merlin in uh, Mark Twain's A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court? Did he believe, uh, truly believe his own magic? That's up to history. Uh, not everybody, surprise, surprise, agreed with him. He got lambasted in the press for his application of um, orgone principles to people with serious medical conditions like cancer. Uh, one journalist in particular, Mildred Brandy, uh, wrote two, I don't know, it's, you could say they're hit pieces in terms of language, but Brandy here is not coming from a bad place necessarily. Uh, you can find the articles, The New Cult of Sex and Anarchy and The Strange Case of Wilhelm Reich. These may have, well, these definitely in some way triggered a federal investigation. The FDA, shortly after these articles come out, they send their agent Charles Wood, double O D, I guess. <laughs> w, W O D, double O. There's a pun there somewhere. Oh, I believe it. And this whole scenario really was kind of um, dramatized in the incredible Kate Bush song and music video, Cloud Busting. Um, Kate Bush kind of plays uh, Reich's son uh, and Donald Sutherland plays Reich himself. And there's this really cool kind of orgone cannon kind of thing, like one of these cloud busters where there's like a crank and they, you know, he shoots it up at the sky. And like the whole deal is you're not really sure if it works or not if the guy is just a crazy scientist um but the son really loves him and um at the end you see the the men in the, the men in black kind of suits coming for him and taking him away and then the son sort of runs out to the field where the uh, the device is and, and uses it and then makes it rain and then you see dad kind of looking back and like smiling and like giving the thumbs up to the sun and it's a really beautiful video um and it really is kind of it's it's less about you know, is this real? Was this something that he actually could do? And more just about like the liberation, the liberating power of like belief and, and discovery and things like that. Like, and the fact that it freaks people out, you know, when someone truly believes in their own magic, as you put it. Agent double O D. Right. Cause it's still like wood. No, no, let's let it go. No, you're right, Max. So in 1954, the FDA goes official with their issues after their agent Charles Wood investigates Reich and this center organon in Maine. Uh, and the FDA says, Dr. Reich, you have violated the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act because you are delivering misbranded and adulterated devices 
across state lines, and you are also making false and misleading claims. I want to stay here for a second because we are we're at the point now where a lot of people who believe in rather conspiratorial perspectives on on the life of Reich will say this is why he's legit. They'll say the FDA shut down and repressed his technology. Now, to what degree? That depends again on which forum you're in online, which conference you go to, etc. But the FDA makes no bones about this. They're not being particularly diplomatic. They say these accumulators are a sham. They say Orgone Energy does not exist. A judge comes out with an injunction that says the following. All accumulators that are rented by Reich or owned by Reich and anyone working with him must be destroyed post-haste. And any labeling that refers to orgone energy, while you're at it, burn that too. Throw that on the fire. And and Reich doesn't go to court, by the way. He writes a letter defending himself. But the FBI, you know, they they take this pretty seriously, Um, as as you can again see dramatized in that that awesome Kate Bush video. uh, They actually have a whole section of their website even today devoted to Wilhelm Reich. um, And this is what they have to say about this this uh, this gentleman. Um, Quote, this German immigrant described himself as the associate professor of medical psychology, director of the Orgone Institute, president and research physician of the Wilhelm Reich Foundation and discoverer of biological or life energy. A 1940 security investigation was begun to determine the extent of Reich's communist commitments. In 1947, a security investigation concluded that neither the Orgone Project nor any of its staff were engaged in subversive activities or were in violation of any statute within the jurisdiction of the FBI. So that's good. Uh, In 1954, the U.S. Attorney General filed a complaint seeking permanent injunction to prevent interstate shipment of devices and literature distributed by Dr. Reich's group. That same year, Dr. Reich was arrested for a contempt of court violation of the Attorney General's injunction. That kind of took a turn. Yeah. And that's why even today, true believers will say he found something they don't want you to know. Uh, <laughs> there, there are consequences here. Whether or not you think there's something to the science, whether or not you think it has some sand to it, holds water, whatever you want to say, it's clear that the FDA was against it. They were the they <laughs> they were being the deadly orgone radiation as far as Reich's concerned. They're they're a force for evil and repression. And you know, the guy hates repression. Uh it's strange because if you look at the actual accumulator, which we described briefly, it's like a it's like a, a smaller than average phone booth. And even a phone booth now may be a dated reference, but you sit in this little timeout corner and you wait for the orgone that has been accumulated to accrete in your own body and go through you, right? You're focusing your midichlorians. And Reich thinks that this can replace actual therapy. As any therapist listening along today knows, that's um, that could be a dangerous and unhealthy replacement. Sitting by yourself in a box 
even a magic box is not the same thing as processing uh, your life, your past and your future. Oh, and yeah. you thought it could cure cancer. Right. No, that's 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 right. He did think it could cure all kinds of stuff. So like we said, he's brought up on charges uh, for contempt of court for violating the attorney general's injunction. And he ultimately was sentenced to two years in jail, in prison, for refusing to stop selling his inventions uh, on May 7th of 1956. Um, apparently, in what, what stays to this day, one of the only federally sanctioned book burnings in America, uh, his books were burned. That is wild. You know, like to your point, Ben, it does really feel like there's something more going on here than just a crotchety old mad scientist, you know, refusing to to stop selling his wares. You know, if there's really nothing to it, why does the government care so much? You know, he went to Lewisburg Penitentiary in, in Pennsylvania, uh, and, and six months later, he passed away um, while incarcerated from a heart attack. It's a sad, sad way to go, sad into his life, but apparently up until the last, he really did believe his own magic. I'm going to keep using that because I just love that. Yeah. I think, I think, I think I it can be a true. negative thing. It can be like it drinking your awesome. own Kool-Aid, you know, but it also can be believing in yourself. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I'm of two minds here. Yeah, and I, this is why I don't think he was... Uh, a scammer. I don't think he was a confidence man. I think he genuinely believed this. Also, let's get in front of uh, let's get in front of any correspondence here and say yes. We know that Jim Jones gave Flavor Aid, not Kool Aid, to his own cult. Uh, but we like the phrase "drink your own Kool Aid." We think it makes sense. You get it. You get the gist. Doctor Reich is sixty years old, and like you said, Noel, he's only in he's only incarcerated for six months before he passes away. And even now you can find uh, people a little bit further on the conspiratorial spectrum who will say that he was murdered. But there is, to be clear, no proof of that at this time. It does look like a heart attack. And if we fast forward a decade later, we'll see that society is still thinking about him and thinking about his work. Time magazine says, Dr. Willem Reich may have been a prophet. For now, it sometimes seems that all America is one big orgone box. Uh, and so I know, look, I want to pause because I know we have, we have some folks who may consider themselves supporters, adherents, believers in Reich's work today in the audience. And you should know, folks, that you are not alone. As a matter of fact, Reich got co-signed by uh, some notable people, some names that might surprise you, fellow scientists, not psychoanalysts, uh, more like physicists. Yeah, and we had mentioned at the top of the of episode one um, of this expansive two-part series that there were definitely going to be some weigh-ins from some some important uh, cultural figures, one of which, uh, as you teased, Ben, is, is, a, is a very uh, renowned physicist, Albert Einstein. Reich, through his own research and, and experimentation, believed that his energy, this orgone energy, was, was and this is a, I'm going to quote this New York Times article um, that we've been referencing, uh, was, quote, uh, reflected by non-organic substances like metal and absorbed by organic substances like wood. And that's why he built this orgone accumulator out of wood and metal. Einstein, though, uh, they, they actually had met before in January of, of 1941. Einstein believed that, that 
Reich was barking up the wrong tree. Um, he wrote Reich a letter and told him that he had been able to replicate these findings regarding the increased temperature in the box that he was perceiving as the absorption of these um, these these energies, these organ energies. But that there was a much simpler explanation than you know this idea of, of, of accumulating orgone energy. Um, they never wrote to each other again. We don't really know what that explanation was, but Reich did refer to this uh, correspondence as, quote, the Einstein affair, uh, I guess in a way of like almost, um, you know, kind of discrediting Einstein and saying like this guy didn't know what he was talking about. This is just like a, a brief, you know, encounter that ultimately mm. did not lead him to change his opinions on anything. But Einstein thought there was something there. He just thought it had a different explanation. And he was talking about, you know, you could loosely call it a greenhouse effect. He said, yeah, the temperature gets warmer. I believe you. That part's true. But here's why. You're shut in a box. Midi-chlorians, bro. Uh, yeah. so it's, well, I mean, right, we're saying, you know, as, temperature. You, you and I, Ben, have experienced this uh, greenhouse effect. We can call it the podcast Multiple effect. Times. You know, when we're in the box together, when we were doing things in person more often, with inadequate air conditioning and ventilation, you know, your body temperature alone is going to raise the temperature in that room mm-hmm. over the course of, uh, you know, a session pretty significantly. So I would maybe argue that's what Einstein was, was barking at. Reich's ideas have never ever been really examined by the scientific community, nor have they been really revisited by the psychoanalytical community. Um, And they still, both of these, uh, you know, uh, groups uh, still kind of disown him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And psychoanalysts today are not looking kindly on, on Reich's life and work. But we do see that he has a legacy. You know, he contributed to things like ego psychology, uh, gestalt therapy, uh, body psychology, even primal scream therapy, which is uh, as metal as it sounds. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's an interesting note here, again, from that Vice article that says you can see a little bit of Reich's academic DNA in what's sometimes called feel-good body therapy, massage, yoga. There's also, you can also do heavy metal yoga. I recommend it. It's, oh, yeah. it's oddly soothing. It's counterintuitive, but it feels good. We had mentioned that at the top of, of episode one, I think here too, where things like Reiki energy work, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, the vice article uses feel good, uh, you know, whatever therapy, but I mean, it could be described as holistic medicine or even like ancient Asian, um, medicine and, uh, and therapies such as, uh, reflexology and, and, uh, deep tissue massage and the idea of the body storing these energies. Um, and you know, Reich's whole early deal was about tension in the body, and where does that stuff go and how do you get it out? And he really kind of flew in the face of the, the, uh, the um, psychiatric community by touching his patients. And we know that touch can be a very important part of, of people's uh, isolation, you know, and of people's feelings of, of loneliness and not sexual touch, but just touch, just, you know, like having someone lay hands on you, which sounds like religious experience, but just having a massage and someone touching you with to heal, you know, laying healing hands. Mm-hmm. I think that can really go a long way. Uh, and that's alive and well today. I've got a massage scheduled for this week and I cannot wait. It is one of the most 
you know, valuable things I think I do, uh, other than like going to actual therapy. I think a massage uh, is really, really valuable because those tensions do get stored. And then there, there's don't no question that you feel <laughs> fair enough. If I don't know you, don't touch me. Okay, well, if I pay you and I give you permission, please touch me all day long. Because when mm, I leave that room, transactional. I, I, I do feel, <laughs> well, so is therapy. <laughs> you know, everything's transactional in some some way or another. You're paying somebody to do something. It doesn't make it any less worthwhile or any less valuable. But I walk out of that room feeling relief. Oh, well, more massages for you, my friend. I'm quite close with several professional masseurs, I guess would be the word. Uh, and it is, it is legitimate. It does do a world of good for people to each their own. Uh, and if you want to take a page from Reich's book, literally, if you would like to learn more about his work, you will find that his publications are still kept in print. Uh, There is also a scientific journal, the Journal of Organomy, probably my favorite word from this series. Uh, They have public lectures, even now in the modern day. You can learn more about it. And there are Reichian therapists. They follow Wilhelm Reich. They didn't burn them all, right? It's definitely, obviously, the the perspective has changed to some degree, um, whether that's because they feel like, you know, uh, people don't take it seriously enough anymore. I, again, I'm, I'm not to put on our conspiracy hats too much from, from our other show, but I really do get a sense that the government, you know, was after this guy for something other than just like he's violating food and drug laws. Like, why did they burn his books that's the thing that really blows me away. They burned his books. And uh, mm-hmm. anyway, thankfully, you can still get them. And he has been and remains, I mentioned that Kate Bush thing, a, a very uh, looms large in pop culture. You know, this, there are a few of these orgone accumulator boxes that um, stayed around. Uh, um, the writer and uh, <laughs> druggy weirdo William S. Burroughs uh, had one and apparently invited Jimmy Page, the guitarist for Led Zeppelin, to hop into one when he was interviewing him in 1975. Uh, reportedly, Page uh, declined, but um, Nirvana's Kurt Cobain uh, was a big fan of, of Burroughs and they hung out um, a good bit at his home. And uh, there's photographs of, 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 um, of Kurt Cobain inside of the accumulator um, when he visited his house in 1993. There's also some you know examples of it, uh, the inspiration in, in film. Like in the Jane Fonda film Barbarella, uh, you can see something called an excessive machine. And this is in 1968. And then in one of Woody Allen's kind of lesser known films, um, and uh, Woody Allen's kind of known issues there. Um, but uh, he did make some interesting films. In 1973, the movie Sleeper, which is kind of a weird satirical dystopian sci-fi thing, uh, there is a machine called the Orgasmatron. So he, he's definitely still around. Yeah, actually, that's what I want to kind of talk about. So a couple of years ago, my brother gave me this book right here. Which oh, is by yeah. Peter Reich. It's a, a book, book of dreams. dreams. And I can't I can't say I finished it. I think I got about like a third of the way through it. I'm not the biggest reader. I think I've talked about that before. Unless it's about like a sports article. But I remember reading it and being like, what the hell is this about? What are these cloud busters? I didn't know anything about the, about it, about a villain Reich beforehand. But I'm just reading this. This is so weird. Um I will say he, the at least the way his son portrays him in this book, because this book was written by his son, Peter Reich. Everything says that Wilhelm believed what he was preaching. He was drinking that flavor aid, mm-hmm. his own flavor aid. Hey. Doesn't his son describe a dream where his father came down to, to, to rescue him in a, a UFO? Isn't that a thing? I think happened? so, yeah. yeah. 
I, I, I didn't make it all the way through, but it, like they do talk about like going to air. He talks about when he went to Arizona with the cloud buster and fought the like big thing. Like it's, uh, it, it, it's very weird when you don't know anything about the story and you're just reading this. I'll tell you though. It was, uh, six tons, six physical tons of books that were burned uh, by, by, by the U S government. So of course they make him a bit of a, a martyr. Right. And there, I, I think that's a huge part of why people remain so interested in his explorations today. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Reich firsthand, then uh, guess what? He's got a museum. It is in Maine. Uh, I believe it's pronounced Rangely, perhaps. We'll actually have to check with Andrew Howard, our pal who is from Maine, <laughs> to get confirmation there. But the the museum itself, I've never been there in the interest of full disclosure, but it is a repository of a lot of his work. They have an active itinerary of programs and events, and you can visit the Organon Institute that's on the property. I really want to go. Uh, the website is just willemreichmuseum.org. Check it out. And, you know, more importantly, tell us if you have been. Uh, tell us if you accumulated orgone while you were there. And importantly, which kind of orgone did you accumulate? The, the good stuff or the DOR, uh, the deadly orgone radiation? Uh, what a ride. Thanks again to our excellent research associate, Zach Williams, who you will meet very soon, ridiculous historians. And where would we be without the man, the myth, the legend, our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Max, I'll read the rest of that book if you want. <laughs> oh, please, just give me cliff notes of it. That, that's okay. about the level of reader I am. <laughs> or maybe you could produce uh, like a little short film. I can just watch that instead. Surely there must be some uh, it, it, Cliff Notes or Idiot's Guide to Wilhelm Reich, to Orgone Energy. I'd be down with that. It'd just be fun just to see uh, what, what they think is the most important bits. Because to your point, Max, when you read something like that, and it is just kind of the regurgitations of someone's mind who has been exposed to, you know, a, a person of this stature, you know, this person's father, I can't imagine uh, what what all of that would entail. And then just like, you know, um, it, it, would, it would have to have had an effect, you know, on, on on, on this person and the way they think about and view the world. So I, I'm interested as well. Um, but uh, let us know what you think. You can write to us on on the social media. You can find me exclusively on Instagram where I'm at How Now Noel Brown. Ben, I think they've uh, they got a couple places to find you. The rumors are true, folks. You can see me all over the internet. You can get a uh, behind-the-scenes peek of stuff that I am working on, uh, such as uh, the book, that Noel, Matt, and uh, yours truly wrote for Stuff They Don't Want You To Know. I'm holding it up in the chat, even though this is an audio podcast. It's called In A Burst Of Creativity, Stuff They Don't Want You To Know. On to other adventures as well. We're going to be going live to promote the book in October. If you ever want to meet us in person, uh, find out more. You can uh, write to me at Ben Bullen, B-O-W-L-I-N, on Instagram. You can also help me in my ongoing mission, my continuing mission to explore strange new foods. Do you like that, Max? A little spin on that? Okay. And uh, and you can find me also on Twitter, where I'm at Ben Bullen, HSW. If you know, you know. Uh, and if you know Twitter, you know the best thing about it is that's where you can find my pal, Mr. Max Williams. 
the resident curling expert of not just ridiculous history, not just Twitter, not just the internet, but these are modern days. I will not accept that honor. If you want to know more about curling, follow Matt Hamilton, the most interesting man in curling, who is just also comes off as being a very good guy. But yes, you can find me on Twitter at ATL underscore Max Williams. 90% of my activity is literally just trolling Ben. So, yeah. All right. I got so much. I got to go accumulate my orgone, guys. I didn't want to say it, but over the course of these episodes, I'm kind of persuaded... Yeah, man, I think I'm going to build uh, build an organ accumulator in my garage. Probably would also work as a good, like, sound booth, you know, for, for mm-hmm. voiceover or something. We like things to be dual purpose. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.